Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 285. The allure of visiting Cuba for so many has resulted in Royal Caribbean offering even more sailings to the island, along with expanded itineraries. This week, we're talking with a podcast listener who took a Royal Caribbean cruise that visited three different ports in Cuba and is here to share his recommendations for anyone looking to visit Cuba on a cruise very soon. Here we go. If there's one itinerary that has gotten so much attention over the last couple of years and people have been really looking to book it immediately, it is definitely cruises to Cuba. And Royal Caribbean especially has been really offering some interesting options there. Obviously, a lot of the first sailings went to just Havana, but Royal Caribbean has recently expanded its offerings to sail to even more Cuban ports of call. And today on this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking with somebody that actually got to sail on Empress of the Seas to not one, but three different ports in Cuba. And uh, joining me on today's episode is Brian Grantham of Atlanta, Georgia. Brian, welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Glad. I'm pleasure to have you here, Brian, and talk about what is an amazing opportunity, this kind of itinerary, and that is cruising to Cuba. I went to Cuba for the first time in 2018, loved it, and want to go back again. So when I heard that you I had an opportunity to not only go to Cuba, but visit the uh, the ports there, you actually were on the first sailing, right? The first sailing that went to all three ports. Right. Uh, they have an eight-day, what they call, Cuba immersion cruise on the Empress, and we were on the first one uh, in September of 2018. It was our third uh, Royal Caribbean cruise to Cuba, but it was our first trip to Cienfuegos and Santiago, and it was the crew's first trip, too, so we all kind of were learning it together. Nice. So, obviously, I, it's, well, let me back this up for a second. Was this your first cruise to Cuba in general? No, it was our third time to Cuba. We did two trips to Havana in 2017, one in June and one in August. Uh, as soon as we got off the June cruise, we YOLO booked an August cruise. And uh, then when they started offering the Cuba immersion three port itineraries, we immediately booked that because we were interested to see uh, what other parts of the island look like. That's incredible. I mean, I had a very similar experience. I didn't YOLO book anything yet. But when I, after doing Havana, I was immediately hooked and I said, wow, this is amazing, even more uh, interesting and intriguing than I ever anticipated. And it sounds like you had the same kind of experience having gone to Havana twice. And then basically, with, is it safe to say that the the new addition of those ports really got your attention? It did. You know, we uh, wanted to see what they were like. I have some friends actually that live in Atlanta that are uh, from Cienfuegos. And so I was interested to see what other parts of the island look like. And what people maybe don't know is, you know, Cuba is the largest island in the Caribbean the distance from Havana to Santiago is about like driving from Houston to Atlanta. It's, you know, it's 10 or 12 hours. Um, So they're a long way from each other. And, you know, it's two totally different places. That's incredible. So talking about these islands, you know, Havana, at least there's, you've been there before. There's been enough people that have sailed there. It seems like there's a little bit of information that's out there in Havana, but how did you tackle planning for San Fuegos and uh, Santiago de Cuba in terms of your planning for that? Because really, you know, up to this point, I mean, really cruise planning, it's not like you can go on a, your typical message board or Facebook and get a ton of responses of people who've been there. It was definitely harder with respect to San Fuegos because San Fuegos is not a particularly big city. It's a tender port. 
and it's very agrarian area around it. I think Cienfuegos maybe has a hundred thousand people. And so, um, planning for Cienfuegos, the best thing I could do was, uh, I had a friend whose family lives there and I asked him, you know, what should we do in Cienfuegos? Um, and so what he recommended, we, obviously I'm getting ahead of myself, but we did an excursion to Trinidad, which is a nearby city about an hour and a half away with Santiago. It's a little easier because Santiago has about a half a million people. So it's a reasonably large city. Um, and there's more, uh, internet availability of information about Santiago than there is Cienfuegos for sure. Interesting. So let's start with, let's start with Cienfuegos then. You already alluded to something you did there. Tell us about what you booked. Was it the Royal on your own? So in Cienfuegos, we did a a Royal excursion. Um, It's called Colonial Trinidad. And essentially, you know, you get in a bus and you ride about I would say it was an hour and a half ride to Trinidad, which is an old colonial city that has cobblestone streets, um, old buildings, things like that. And so it's very interesting to ride through the countryside. You get to see a lot of um, farms and there's sugar mills, and you get a nice view of the ocean as you get closer to Trinidad. Um, and it's, it's definitely different from going around you know, Havana, which is a big city. Um, and so on that excursion, um, you know, it was an interesting excursion to see Trinidad, but uh, you have to remember that these excursions, you book the cruise ship, uh, you're getting a local tour guide who was essentially a government employee. <laughs> and so you're getting uh, a little bit of the party line and sort of uh, a whitewashed version of things <laughs> from the, the Cuban tour guide. Um but you know, we went to several different places in San Fuego, or excuse me, in Trinidad. There was uh, the first stop. You went to a bar where you had a local uh, honey and rum drink that they make, um, and there was a guy actually at the bar who was rolling his own cigars for sale. Um, and then we went to uh, a museum that was sort of the history of Trinidad in like a, a big colonial museum, and, and that was interesting. Um, and then the rest of the tour, uh, we went to a woodworking shop, and then there was a, a pottery shop. Um, and so uh, it, it wasn't the best tour in the world. I don't think I would do it again. <laughs> but it, it, the ride was as interesting as, as uh, the tour itself, honestly. Sure. I forgot to ask earlier. Uh, first of all, what was the order of ports on your cruise? Uh, the first port was Havana, and then you go counterclockwise clockwise around the islands. Uh, Havana is on the northern side of the island, obviously. Cienfuegos is sort of what I would call south-central. And then Santiago is, you know, the, the southeasternmost point near, really near Guantanamo Bay. Yep. And so I guess that makes sense also from a logistical standpoint because I was going to ask about customs. Obviously, in Havana, you go through customs, and when you get off the ship, what was the experience like in the other ports? Did you have to go through customs, or was it simply just walk off the ship like you were in any Caribbean port? No, it's similar to Havana in that you have to go through the immigration. You have to show them your visa. And um, my experience on the other trips to Havana is – Obviously, you buy the visa when you embark, um, and you actually submit that to immigration in Havana, and they stamp your passport. In On this trip, I suppose because we had three stops in Cuba, they actually stamped the visa instead of our passport, and we kept 
the visa. So you had to hold the visa the whole week to show once you got to see in Fuegos and to show in Santiago. And I think they took it from us in Santiago. It's interesting that that would be the case, that you still had to go through essentially immigration at each of these ports because, you know, and granted, every country is different. I'm not, you know, saying that the American way is the way to do it. But, you know, in the United States, if you, you know, if you if your first embarkation port is in the United States, you leave from uh, Miami and your next port stop is Key West, right? You've already done immigration. You've already done all those custom stuff. So really the the process is very simple. But um, in, in your case, you've already done immigration Havana. It's just, it just kind of interesting that they would make you still go through a very similar process in those other ports. Um, now, going back to uh, Cienfuegos, you mentioned you did, obviously, the tour in Trinidad. What was the port area like? That's a really common question people always ask is, if you were to walk off the ship, would you find something to do there? Or, like you said, it's a very small town, and other than maybe a deli sandwich and a Coke, there's really not much else to do. Can I, If I can be honest... I would yeah. not walk out of the port into Cienfuegos. Um, oh, wow. It's very run down outside the port area. It's um, very rural and poor. It, uh, it may, it's kind of like walking out of the uh, port area maybe in Belize, but worse, if that mm. makes sense. Um, yeah. You're probably three or four blocks from the major city square, uh, maybe a little further. And uh, so the major city square is very pretty in Cienfuegos, but there's nothing to see between the port and the city square. Okay. So, so uh, I, I don't plan. Ahead. I don't know that I would walk right off. Yeah, I don't know that I would walk right off the boat. <laughs> Fair enough. And and you would agree though that and just just so I know we're on the same page, Havana would be the opposite of that, and you certainly would have no qualms about that. Havana is the absolute opposite. I I have no yeah. qualms about walking around Havana on my own. It's it's perfectly fine. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure that, you know, everything you're saying is it makes sense. I just want to make sure that you and I are at least on the same page when it comes to that. Um, So definitely San Fuego sounds like you definitely want to have plans ahead of time. Don't try to wing it at the last minute. Do not wing San Fuego. I would recommend booking an excursion because unlike Havana and Santiago, there's not a lot of private tour companies. Um, Unlike you you'll see in Havana when you get off the boat, there's all the private taxi owners who want to take you on a mm-hmm. tour and things like that. There's really none of that in Cienfuegos. So I, I would recommend, uh, booking a tour. You know, I, I don't love booking these excursions through the cruise ship, but that's really the only game in town right now in Cienfuegos because it's just not a built up port area. Right. Let's move over to Santiago de Cuba. Uh, tell us about what you, what you found in your research and what you ended up booking there. So in Santiago, we booked a private tour. The company is called Out of the Box Tours. Um, essentially, uh, it was a six or eight hour full day tour, and we got to see the, the highlights of uh, Santiago. Um, this was our third port in Cuba. And the choice for the tour, I think, is you can ride in a classic car that is not air conditioned, or you can ride in sort of a modern taxi van that is air conditioned. We opted for air conditioning <laughs> in Santiago. <laughs> uh, we've, we've been there, done that with the classic car thing in Havana. So we didn't need that experience. Um, and so uh, this was a really interesting tour. And if you're interested in history, particularly the history of the Cuban revolution, you need to go to Santiago because um, there's obviously you've got, 
history with the Spanish-American War and Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders there. But this is also where uh, the Castro Revolution started. Um, hmm. So there's a lot of interesting history in Santiago for, for history buffs or people are interested in Cuba or whatever. Um, on this particular tour, we started and the first place we went is the cemetery, which is where uh, Jose Marti, who is the uh, – well, they call him the national hero of Cuba. That's where he's buried. It's also where, where Fidel Castro is buried. Um, while we were there, we got to see the changing of the guard. Um, at the tomb of Jose Marti, uh, which was really interesting. Um, you know, people may get mad at me for this comparison, but it's not unlike the changing of the guard at Arlington Cemetery. Um, and so uh, after that, we went, there's a, uh, a fort at the port of San Juan we went to, uh, excuse me, at port of Santiago, just like the San Juan fort or the forts uh, in Havana, you know, very similar design and everything. Um, we got to see that. Uh, we went up to San Juan Hill, which is uh, an important site uh, in the Spanish-American War, uh, Teddy Roosevelt and Rough Riders and all that. Um, and uh, then I think we went into town, uh, had lunch, um, and we had two more stops that were uh, – well, we went past the muse- uh, their Revolution Square in Santiago as well. Um, after that – we had lunch, and uh, then we went on a, a couple of bar drinking tours <laughs> of, uh, of Santiago. Uh, and, I, and I must give a shout-out to uh, the first place we went to is in the bottom of the Museum of Rum in Santiago. And uh, there's a gentleman named uh, Eduardo Corona who is the bartender there, and he makes the best mojitos. Um, he makes his own rum. Uh, he does – uh, rum tasting flights and so for five dollars a person he lets you try three-year rum seven-year rum 25-year rum and then the seven-year rum that he himself makes um, and uh, he'll give you a, a chocolate to taste because it brings the flavor out of a certain rum or if you want it he'll sell you a cigar that goes so it's very interesting um, if you like craft drinks, <laughs> it's like that because it takes him five or ten minutes to make a mojito because he's you know hand making the ingredients and he takes his time uh, doing it. So that's a that's a must do. And then finally, finally, our tour ended at the uh, there's an Ibero Star Hotel that has a third floor uh, rooftop bar that overlooks the main city square in Santiago, um, overlooks the port area, so you can see the ship. And it's a great view, uh, and wow, it was a nice. really nice, really nice way to end the tour. I've been to the Star Resort in Cozumel, and I can imagine that it's uh, if it's anything like that, it's probably quite the ornate uh, resort. So that's really great to hear. And uh, by the way, I still can't get over the fact that the bartender's last name was Corona. It is Eduardo Corona is his last name, <laughs> right, and just, uh, uh, and if you if you yeah. want to Google it, you can actually Google. Um, in the New York Times, there's an article about Eduardo Corona and the Santiago Museum of Rum. I think in, from July of 2018, um, there was a New York Times writer that went there, and his experience was very similar to ours. Cool. And lastly, in Havana, Cuba, this is your third time now in Havana. How did you approach Havana this time around? So um, this was our third time 
uh, my wife and I, um, we were bringing her parents on the cruise. And so this was their first time to Havana. And so the first time we went to Havana, we looked at it as we want to see the highlights, the things that everybody sees when they come here, the, the must-dos. And then the second time, we wanted to go off the beaten path a little bit. Um, and so the third time, it was let's go see the things we enjoyed the most from the first two times to show her parents. Um, so we booked a private tour. And one thing I'll say that we've learned in Havana is they are kind of cracking down on these private tour companies. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, they're because in Cuba, obviously, you have to have a license for your profession. Um, and they only give out so many tour, private tour guide licenses. And so, actually, our tour guide's, quote, license was as a photographer. So she always had her camera with her so as to not um, run afoul of any uh, police officers who may be... Let us know that there are times when the police officers will... Ask the guard, the uh, tour guides, you know, what are you doing, and things like that. So, that's something to, to I guess, be aware with and look out, look out for. Absolutely, well, uh, that's a really good tip right there. That you know, that is the case. I mean, it's always changing. It's it's going to keep changing. Nature of the beast, uh, but certainly, um, that's interesting. Can you name the the name of the company that you, the private tour guide that you use in Havana, in case people are interested? Uh, I think, yeah, I think that company was called Havana Reflections. Um, okay. We'd use a different company the first two times, but they appear to no longer be in business. Oh, and I no. don't know if that's yeah, I don't know if that's due to the regulations from the U.S. government or if that's due to the regulations from the Cuban government or, or what have you. But um, so we used a different company this time. But it was the same uh, sort of tour. We went out in the classic car um, and went to the different locations that we wanted to see in Havana. Nice. What was um you know looking back looking at Cuba now so you've been there three times and and done a number of these ports here what are some of your top tips for anybody who's going to Cuba for the first time? So the first tip that's important to remember is Cuba is not like the other Caribbean islands or somewhere else you may go. You have got to plan ahead because your cell phone doesn't work, your credit cards don't work, your American cash doesn't work. Uh, I mean, some people will take it, but technically, you know, you need to have the local currency. And so it's very important to plan. Um, try to figure out what you want to spend because you need to bring enough cash to exchange into Cuban currency. Um, so it, it's extremely important that you plan. How um, about, um, speaking of that, how much, if you don't mind our sharing, how much currency did you exchange? Or a better question would be, how much money, if you could go back in time, how much money would you have exchanged that you would have really hit the nail on the head in terms of how much money you needed? So we, uh, we like to uh, partake of the rum and the cigars and the coffee nice. when we get down there. And, and my wife always buys a bunch of honey uh, down there because it's uh, really good honey as well. And so... Um, our private tour in Havana was around $100 per couple, and it was the same in Santiago. So that obviously factors in. But not counting um, tour money, I, we probably uh, exchanged three or 400 U.S. dollars um, to buy rum, cigars, coffee, honey, um, and things like that. Okay. Sounds good. Sorry. That was a 
when you mentioned the cash thing, I think that, you know, with three ports, that's a common question, quite frankly, to anyone who goes to Cuba is how much money to exchange. So it's good to have at least a frame of reference for how much money to exchange. And to your point, you know, one thing, when we went to Havana, we exchanged way more cash than we needed because you're, like you said earlier, there's, there's no credit cards, there's no backup. So I didn't want to run into a situation in which I ran out of money. And you can't exchange the money back after the, after your visit to Havana or wherever you're visiting. Um, there is a there's a fee associated with it, but peace of mind is worth something to me, so I'm willing to do that. It is, yeah. And if you really want to get cute with it, what we always do, we always exchange dollars for euros, and then euros for Cuban money, and then at the end of the trip, we get dollars back if we have any uh, CUCs left over. Um, if you exchange dollars to euros, and then you exchange euros in Cuba, you don't run afoul of the 10% penalty they charge you for exchanging dollars in Cuba. Um, that may be a little too inside baseball for some folks, but if you're, if you're exchanging five or $600, it starts to become more worth it because I think you save something like $3 every $100 by right. doing it that way, which doesn't sound like a lot, but a bottle of rum in Cuba is $7. Right, um, right, right. So, you know, think of it as you get a free bottle of rum by doing that. <laughs> yeah, someone told me that – a lot of people actually recommended that trick the last time. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then like a day or two before the cruise, I was like, are you changing the money? I'm like, nah, ain't nobody got time for that. I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah, just bringing it, my dollars. It's not a big deal. I mean we're talking about yeah. saving 20 or 30 bucks. But, it, you know, if you want to and you have time and you want to fool with it, go ahead. Yeah, if you're in, if you're coming in an airport, right? You're you're flying into Miami or Orlando or wherever. There's almost always a currency exchange desk over there. It's just you know when um, we weren't flying, we were just driving down to the port. You know, um, you know the struggle was real for us, and uh, we uh, yeah. had no opportunity for that. But anyway, yeah. just something to keep in mind. It, it is a good tip. What are some? Uh, you got another tip or two for anybody yeah, who's I going think, to Cuba for the first time? I think my second tip is. Know what to expect and keep your expectations in line. Um, you know, first thing, you're going on either the Empress or I guess it's the Majesty. And these are older ships. They don't have bells and whistles. There's no flow rider. There's no mini golf. There's no zip line or anything like that on the ships. So just know what to expect with the ship, but also know what to expect when you get to Cuba. Um, you're in a poor communist country. Uh, you're not going to get a great meal. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get a five-star meal. Um, you're you're going to run into some cultural differences. Uh, you're going to see some anti-American propaganda in some places. So just know what to expect, and don't be surprised when you see that. Um, and and know that the Cuban people are are great. I mean. Uh, all the locals we've talked to over our three trips there have been very nice and have been very happy to have more Americans come there. Um, and so I think it's important to know, I guess I'm getting into tip three, know that even though there may be differences or uh, conflict between the governments, there's not conflict between the Cuban people and American people. Um, they're happy to have us, and they're very welcoming and very friendly. Yeah, I, I think I agree with everything you said there, especially about the people and how friendly they are. It truly is. Uh, uh, I don't even know if it's if it's surprising, but you know they are very very nice folks. When we went over there um, between our tour guide, 
the taxi driver we took later on, on in one of the private cars and people we met all around. Just very nice, genuinely uh, concerned people. And it's great to see that. And so you're absolutely right about that. You know what's interesting? In Havana, I noticed so much more – I wouldn't say even anti-American. I thought it was a lot more pro-American stuff. You saw a lot of American history well-preserved. I mean there was a huge statue of Abraham Lincoln – in their in one of their courtyards, which obviously is part of their history because that you know obviously predates the revolution, but still, you, I mean, you you I think it's easy to assume that oh, since the revolution, they would have gotten rid of any of that stuff, but it's it's you know it's nice to see some of those those links to the past and you know and to your point exactly, I think the Cuban people are definitely uh, very very uh, nice people to meet and hang out with and get to know a little bit. So I guess yeah, you shouldn't go into it thinking that you're meeting. Fidel Castro, you know, every every person you go to is going to be like that. Far from it. You get some really cool people that you get a chance to meet in Cuba. And it, it's, I think it, it is what makes, it's part of the charm of the island, quite frankly. It is, you know, and, and I think the other thing is, you know, Cubans are very pro-Cuba. Um, you look around, there's Cuban flags everywhere. Uh, I think, I think the, the Cuban people want, more freedom and liberty and um, free enterprise, but they're still very proud of their heritage. And it's a very interesting history. Uh, the last 150 years on that island, it's it's been subject to a lot of different uh, wars and revolutions and things like that. Um, so it, it's, I, and I also I consider it more. It's almost more like going to a Mediterranean port than a. Caribbean port in a way, mm, because yeah. when when I think of the Caribbean ports, I think of oh cool, let's go find a beach and you know get a get a margarita and put our toes in the sand and kind of take it slow. Cuba is a very active island for cruising because if you're complying with the regulations, you're really supposed to be going nonstop all day, and and also there's a lot of things to see. Um, particularly if you're in Havana or Santiago that are historically relevant. And so it's, uh, it's a more of an active uh, port uh, island than if you're going to St. Martin or Barbados or what have you. Sure. Um, and, of course, you've been to Havana now three times. So if someone is going to Havana, what's your top, what are your top two or three uh, sightseeing recommendations in Havana? Very glad you asked me that. Um, so – one thing that if you can do is just walk around the area around the cruise terminal. I'm sure you did this when you were there, Matt, and just see all the different squares and things. And there's a lot of beautiful architecture. Um, and so do that as part of your trip. But uh, the things we like to see, there are the, the forts that are across the uh, harbor from where the cruise ships are. And that's where the Christ of Havana uh, statue is, which is one of the few uh, items that survived the Castro Revolution that was put up by his predecessor, Batista. Um, so check that out. If you're interested in Che Guevara, his house is right next to the uh, Christ of Havana statue. It's not a whole lot to it, but if you're interested in his history or a fan or whatever, um, you can check that out. Um, our probably favorite place to go is the Museum of the Revolution uh, because it's very uh, historically interesting. It was the old presidential palace prior to uh, when Castro, uh, prior to the Castro Revolution. You can still see bullet holes in the wall. Um, 
and it's a three-story museum. There's all kinds of different exhibits uh, regarding the revolution. There's the boat that uh, Castro took from Mexico to Santiago at the start of the revolution is there. Um, there are some vehicles that were involved in the revolution that are there. It's a very interesting museum. Um, there is one room we call the American propaganda room. So just know that that's there. But what's interesting is I have noticed in the just the year that we've gone to Cuba that even that museum has gotten more or less anti-American, if you will. They've taken a lot of the anti-American things out. There were some caricatures of the Bushes and Reagan that they've <laughs> taken out. Um, there are more things written in English now than there were back in 2017 when we first went. Um, so I, if you're interested in history, I would say definitely check that out. Um, and the other two places I would say, there's a uh, house called uh, Fusterlandia, which is an artist's house, and he makes uh, – basically his whole house is a piece of tile artwork that he's made out of mosaic tile. And you have to see that. It's called Fusterlandia. And uh, the last thing is we always recommend or we always, in the middle of the day, stop for a drink at the Hotel Nationale. Um, they have a what they call their Hall of Fame room. And it's five CUCs per person to go in, but they give you a free drink. So you're really just buying a drink for five CUCs. Mm. Um, so you go in. It's a good – they have air conditioning in there, which is – it's one of the few places you will go in Cuba that has air conditioning. So um, it's nice to go in there, sit in the air conditioning, have a pina colada or a, a Cuba Libre or uh, what have you in there. Uh, it's a good way to cool off in the middle of your tour. Well, really good stuff, Brian. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us here. But before I let you go, uh, since this is your first time on the podcast, I just want to ask you a couple quick questions about how you like to cruise on Royal Caribbean. So just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Since you sailed on Empress of the Seas, what's your best tip for someone going on Empress for the first time? Uh, Going back to what I said earlier, have reasonable expectations about what the Empress is. Uh, It's a smaller ship. But it actually has the biggest schooner bar in the fleet, which it goes from uh, one side to the other. Uh, But my favorite thing to do on the Empress, particularly since you're going to Cuba, buy a cigar, go to Boleros. There is a patio outside at the back of Boleros and have a cigar as the ship leaves the uh, Havana Harbor. There you go. Favorite restaurant on a Royal Caribbean ship? Chops. All the way. (laughs) Preferred drink while on a Royal Caribbean cruise? Margarita. Wow, well, that doesn't have rum in it. I thought for sure you were going to give me a rum paste drink. <laughs> you know, b- before going to Cuba, I really wasn't a big rum drinker. And then you, you go to Cuba, and the rum is, to me, tastes different from the rum you get here. I think it's a little smoother. And so I do enjoy drinking the Cuban rum and bringing it back. But in general, uh, my drink's a margarita. And uh, by the way, speaking of that, is your favorite rum brand the Havana Club, or do you go for a different one? So... So the rum in Santiago, I think, is better. They have uh, Santiago de Cuba rum. Um, it's a darker rum, and I think it's uh, a little better than the Havana Club rum, but the Havana Club rum is good, too. Favorite port of call to visit? So we do like Havana and Santiago, but our favorite port is always going to be St. Martin. Favorite song on the radio or iPod today? 
So I'm on a little bit of a kick where I've been listening to Africa by Toto. Not that. That's a great remake. Not that oh, crappy the, the cover original. by Weezer. Yeah. No. Oh, not, okay. Not the cover by Weezer, Matt. The original <laughs> by Toto. All right, I like it. That's it is a classic song, man. It's it, it holds up pretty well and uh, good stuff. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us here. Really appreciate the great tips. I think people going to Cuba are going to uh, find this really, really helpful, I think, for plan- helping them plan their cruise. I certainly am going to re-listen to this episode when I have my next cruise booked to Cuba. Thanks again for joining us. All right. Thanks, Matt. All right. It's time to answer your listener questions. This is the part of the podcast where we feature the emails that you send in and read them right here on the podcast. So if you want to have your email sent in, please feel free to send them in by emailing me at matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email this week comes to us from Oliver, writes, Hi, Matt. Enjoyed the joke on the latest podcast about ICQ. I wonder how many people actually got that joke. Did you know that ICQ was developed by an Israeli company before it was sold to AOL? Keep up the good work. Uh, ICQ. If you don't have no idea what ICQ was, it's literally the letters ICQ, which was supposed to be, I guess, a plan words that if you say it quickly enough, it sounds like ICQ, as in I'm looking for you. And it was a very early uh, instant messaging program in the late 90s. It predated things like AOL Instant Messenger and Yahoo Messenger. And back in the 90s, that was kind of a big deal was the instant messaging. Anyway, it was weird because in a, with, I'm not getting too much into it. Basically with ICQ, instead of having a username, you had a number, a registration number essentially. So obviously the later you registered, the higher your number was. And it was, so if you wanted to add somebody, you had to tell them your ICQ number in order to add them. And you know, like at the time, it made total sense. And for a while, it was really a sign of that if you used ICQ as opposed to like AOL Instant Messenger or Yahoo Messenger or MSN, you know, that was a sign that you really knew the internet. You were a real geek. <laughs> Source of pride. All right, next we have an email from Laura. It's, uh, Matt, thank you so much for the blog. The information you provide really helps generate excitement and confidence as we look forward to our next cruise. I was on a December 2nd sailing out of Harmony of the Seas. With great excitement, I had booked the Escape the Rubicon experience well in advance of the cruise. Based on my general excitement for that type of thing and your comments about its popularity, I thought we should arrive early for our reserved time. So we left our other activities and got to the escape room about 30 minutes ahead of the time. There was a sign on the door that an escape room was in progress, so we sat down and waited. The appointed time came and went, and after waiting an extra 30 minutes, so we had been sitting outside the closed door for an hour, we left and went down to the customer service. I was pretty shocked at the answer I got from customer service rep. Oh, well, there weren't enough people to run, run it at your point in time. Okay, I had paid for advance for something that should have been known wasn't going to happen. Someone definitely should have told me that I didn't interrupt my cruise day for nothing. He offered the opportunity for me to come back at noon the next day. I told him that wasn't really so great a time for us, but he told me that was the only time available. And he told me that for our troubles, he would refund the fee and let us experience the room for free. I really wanted to do the escape room experience, so I changed lunch reservations for the next day, and we went up at noon. Like deja vu, there was no one there, and there was a sign hanging on the door that there was an experience in progress. Fortunately, only 10 minutes on my wait on the second day, a ship officer walked by. He was giving some other guests a tour, but was very kind and contacted customer service for us. He was told that we were at the wrong time, and we were supposed to be there at 2.30, so we left and came back at 2.30. This time, we weren't the only ones. We were actually part of a group of 14 people, which seems like a lot of people for an escape room experience, but actually was not a problem. The room is pretty big, and there were lots of things to work on. We really had a great time, but the logistics and administration behind running this left quite a bit to be desired. Also, 
from the customer service end. The man we spoke to was very nice and generous in refunding our fee, except that he didn't actually refund the fee. I checked back four days later, and a new customer service guy actually did refund the fee. Thanks for everything you do. We're already looking forward to Alaska on Ovation next summer. Laura, thank you for the email, and I'm so sorry to hear you have such a poor experience there. I, I feel like that's an outlier situation, not the norm. At least I certainly would hope that wouldn't be the case. And I do agree that the escape room experience is worth doing. It's a very, very different and fun thing to do on board a Royal Caribbean ship, and if you happen to have one, I highly recommend it. And, you know, Laura, in that kind of a situation, you know, there's... Unfortunately, you know, it is what it is. It happened. I'm hopeful, and it sounds like it didn't ruin your cruise. You didn't let that become a source of a problem. Just obviously something to, to report on, which is, you know, certainly within your right to do so and email me here and talk about that here. Um, but I'm sorry you had to go through that because that really, I mean, there's a lot of things that shouldn't happen. I agree. First and foremost, if they're going to not offer something that you signed up for, they should let you know. There should be a letter in your room. They should have canceled it, something to that effect, you know. And, and not just this, like, well, is anyone going to show up kind of thing? And I would also tell you, just for other people's purposes, the, the lesson, one lesson I can say, minor lesson here, uh, Laura showed up 30 minutes beforehand. That's way too early to show up for. It's just asking to uh, show up too early. You know, for shows like a, a stage show or an aqua theater show, you can show up 20, 15 to 20 minutes before showtime. That's more than enough. 30 minutes is a bit of overkill. The only reason I ever show up to anything 30 minutes beforehand is if I wanted to try my hand at, like, standby. Like, if you're going on Anthem of the Seas and you want to do the North Star, and that's something that sometimes has no-shows but it can otherwise appear to be booked up, that'd be a good reason to do so. Or perhaps uh, ice skating or even um, uh, in the roller skating yeah, and uh, bumper cars on Anthem of the Seas. Again, you could make a decent argument for that. But for things you sign up for and you paid for, you know, whether it's specialty restaurants, the escape room... Uh, things of that nature, I would say 10 to 15 minutes is really where you should be aiming for. Just so that you're there beforehand, you can be on time and all that. That is definitely important. I think punctuality is really important in general. That's <laughs> just a life lesson right there, not just a cruise thing. But uh, 30 minutes is a bit a bit eccentric for what you needed to do there. But And that only exacerbated the problem, right? Because you had to wait even longer. Ugh, frustrating, Laura. Well, I hope, again, you, you'll give it a try maybe on another ship. And i got to think it's going to be a whole lot better for you uh, when you check that out. Next, we have an email from Bill Sioko. I hope I said that right. Uh, I was shopping for trip insurance on a certain website, and during the chat in the box, I would mention I was primar- primarily looking for medical and evacuation coverage. The agent rep- explained that if I wasn't needing cancellation coverage, I could put $0 in the cost of the trip box, and I would get rates for insurance that didn't include cancellation. For us, the only reason we started getting insurance is the concern of getting hurt somewhere. We're in our mid to late 50s and still very active. We've been cruising since 2004, and our cruise in early December is the first one we purchased insurance for. For what it's worth, we book non-refundable and still don't want cancellation coverage. We don't want an excuse to cancel. And uh, you know what's interesting? And Oh, Bill has one more thing. And uh, so I didn't, sc- I didn't finish scrolling down here. Uh, the two cards I usually have for... Oh, he says here, I wrote to you about the trip insurance. Uh, and there are many credit cards that also include cancellation insurance if you use the card to pay for your trip. The two cards I usually use uh, that have the benefits are the City Costco Visa and the Capital One Venture Visa. The Capital One Venture Visa will also allow you to pay for a cruise with points and often often has offers with 40,000 points, which equal about $400 in travel for signing up. We use points to pay for our last cruise deposit and our pre-cruise hotel. Bill, thanks so much for the email, dude. Really appreciate it. And uh, let's talk about the travel insurance thing. This goes back to, I'm glad you brought this up, Bill, because this goes back to something I talked about anytime anybody asks me about travel insurance. Because the inevitable question is, Matt, should I get travel insurance? Is travel insurance worth it? Something along those lines. 
And the reality is the, the answer truly depends on you and what you're looking to get and what your policy includes. Just like auto insurance, just like homeowner's insurance, like any insurance policy, there isn't just one for everybody. Maybe flood insurance is the only one that is one for everybody. But other than that, uh, they all have different you know coverages and what they cover and how much they cover. So what you really have to figure out is what the plan that you want and make sure you're paying for things you actually want and or need and not things that are just, you know, obviously if you get other perks in there, that's nice, but you're going to pay extra for it probably. And to Bill's point, hey, that's a really good point there that if you don't need trip cancellation coverage because you're never going to cancel your cruise, you're just more, more worried about, you know, personal injury, well, then get a policy that covers exactly that. I think it's a really good point. And Bill, you also mentioned, of course, the credit cards that may offer those kind of benefits. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. Sometimes they do offer that. Check in the policy, though, again, that what it covers, how it works, when it kicks in. A lot of times these policies with credit cards require you to jump up through, I feel like, a little more, few more hoops than if you do it on your own. But look, if you got something that's pretty much all of that, what you need, hey, that can save you a lot of money right there. So, uh, Bill, thank you so much for the email. Next, we have an email from Mindy Panzer who writes to us and says, um, first of all, warning, this is a long email. For the last six months or so, I've been listening to your podcast after booking a Royal Caribbean cruise on Mariner of the Seas. Being a diehard Disney Cruise Line fan, I was nervous, but gave Royal Caribbean a try after I found some the same itinerary for the same week to be almost $3,000 less on Royal Caribbean. And, of course, thought to myself, well, why not? Let's just say I am hooked. Wow. Here's my review and comparison. We left on December 17th for a four-night Bahamas cruise. We had flown into Fort Lauderdale, which was cheaper from St. Louis, rented a car, and drove to Miami. We stayed at the Holiday Inn Miami Beachfront, which I highly recommend due to the price and it being right on the beach. Only downfall was no free breakfast, but hey, right on the beach. Terminal A was beautiful in Port Miami. We arrived at 10.45 a.m., boarded around 11.45. After boarding, we went, we went around to explore the ship. It was very nice, and we were in the room in no time. We had a spacious ocean view balcony room, and the only bad thing I can say about it is it only has two uh, electrical outlets. I totally screwed up not taking the bring the extra outlets plugins advice you had given me. I totally regret not bringing one with the two teen girls. The two girls had the sofa, sorry, the soda, <laughs> sofa, soda and Voom package. I had the Voom Surf and Stream refreshment package, and my friend had the Voom internet as well. The Voom worked great, no trouble at all. For our Nassau Porte, I found a Blue Lagoon Island beach day with Stingray Experience for $49 per person on a cruise planner sale, and I was very happy with that experience. The girls loved it, and the beach was also nice. Also, if you you were spot on about booking things on the cruise planner and rebooking if there's a sale, we got a cheaper price on the internet for that way. During our visit to Coco Cay, we just hung at the beach. We did the Virgin Frozen drinks, and they were awesome. We did a lot of these, and they were included in my refreshment package. The girls did the observatory escape room and won. They loved it, and also did the sky pad and liked it as well. My friend and I went to most of the shows. Our favorite was the ice show and the Dubois circus-type performers. We could have done without the magic of Puck. It was mostly rope tricks and handkerchiefs. Ugh. <laughs> By far. The best experience of all was the Izumi Hibachi experience. I booked it on a Tuesday morning for Wednesday night, my birthday, and the food and experience were amazing. We got steak, shrimp, and chicken, and my daughter also got a dragon roll, which she said was awesome as well. It was really nice that we sat at the grill with only four of us, too. They even ran to another restaurant and brought back cake and sang happy birthday to me. Wilson, the waiter, was awesome. I also did the water slide for my 48th birthday midlife crisis and loved it. So for my opinion to compare, food, Izumi, so worth it. The Windjamere, same as Disney's Cabanas. Pizza, Royal Caribbean, one Disney, zero. Food, pretty much same on both lines to me. Loved Cafe Promenade as well. Entertainment, 
Disney wins this, but in all fairness, the ship didn't have grease or hairspray. Just some odd singing shows. Maybe different on other ships. The spa was great as well. General stuff to do. Royal Caribbean wins. Loved people watching on the Royal Promenade. So cool. And there was actually American sports at Playmakers. Christmas decorations were beautiful. Disembarking was super simple with the facial recognition. It just zoomed right through with our porter luggage and our bags for us. Overall, I can safely say that my family and I will not be paying the mouse prices from here on out. Thank you so much for all the work you put into the podcast and Facebook Live videos. They really helped tremendously. Hope to see you on a group cruise someday. Wow, Mindy. I am so glad to hear you had an awesome cruise and you come over to the dark side, as it were, from Disney to come embrace the Royal Caribbean love. I am so glad you had an awesome time on the cruise, Mindy. It sounds like you had a great time. And yeah, I mean, $3,000. I mean, look, you hear everything Mindy talked about here, right? And basically, my your, the takeaway is, well, it was a very similar experience to Disney Cruise Line. So why would Mindy want to pay $3,000 more for the exact same thing? It's, it's silly. So Mindy, I'm so glad to hear that you've come over here, and I'm, I'm hopeful we are going to have an opportunity to cruise again soon. Uh, next email is from Dan, who writes, Just listen to episode 281. I thought I would respond about the Casino Royal discount regarding how much I had gambled. They gave me my discount based on the time I had ever gambled there in the casino. I had brought $300 total and had a good enough and good enough left recycle the winnings and play throughout the week. I definitely not a high roller. Realistically, that information probably doesn't help since the old senior program is no more. I checked my current status and I am at the halfway point to making the second tier. Thanks, Dan, for the email and the update on that. About the, of course, that was the um, the the Casino Royale program and the rewards and how that all works. I freely admit my knowledge of Royal Caribbean is uh, the exact opposite when it comes to Casino Royale and the Casino loyalty stuff there. Uh, my advice is always uh, well, post the question if you have it in advance on the Royal Caribbean blog message boards. We have a great community over there, and there's a lot of uh, people in Casino Royale that can help you there. But if all else fails, talk to the casino host on board the ship. Next, we have an email from Drew from Massachusetts. And Drew writes, My wife and I just got back from an 11-night Eastern Caribbean cruise aboard Anthem of the Seas. I took an 8-night cruise to the Bahamas about the same time last year on Anthem and made several observations comparing the two cruises I thought I'd share with you and your listeners. On both cruises, we did my time dining, and last year, we felt the service was pretty slow. This year, it was much better. I'm not sure what changes were made, as the only changes we observed were that a set of rolls were at your table when you arrived, rather than being offered by the assistant waiter, and having your order and having you order your dessert at the same time as your appetizers and main course. Whatever they did, it worked, and we're pretty much excited for it. Conversely, they added a buffet to the main dining room for breakfast and lunch. This created all kinds of havoc and really disrupted the service for these meals. Not sure why they felt they need to add this with the much larger buffet upstairs in the Windjamere, but hopefully this won't be permanent. Spectre's Cabaret is great. I really feel like you need to see it twice, though, because there's so much going on. We Will Rock You is tons of fun. Why are there no women lifeguards? Uh, Boleros is a great place for live music, but it smelled a little musty this time around. It took us a bit to find out, but if you can book a spot in the escape room, do it. It's a great time. Have you ever seen Royal Caribbean enforcing their cherry reservation policy, reserving policy, at the pool? I walked through the solarium before 6 a.m. one morning, and there were already towels out holding chairs. I know it's a lot of time for people to take off, but 11 nights was an amazing amount of time to be on a cruise. I always feel like you're just getting into the swing of things, and it's time to go home when you're on day 7. So if you have a couple extra days, it's certainly worth it. Thanks to the podcast. I love listening each week, as it keeps me sane between cruises. Drew, I love this kind of comparison, dude. In terms of the service, you know, I always feel, I, first of all, you are right, Dan, or Drew, where I get Dan from, Drew, <laughs> that the uh, that they did change up the ordering process a little bit where the rolls are already there on your table and they ask for your dessert. I really feel that the pace of your meal is still 
primarily dictated by your waiter and that some waiters just seem to be faster than others. It may have to do with how many other tables they're dealing with. You know, sometimes waiters have, are supposed to theoretically have the same amount of tables, but, you know, obviously, if one waiter has two less tables because people aren't actually showing up to dinner, well, inevitably, I think those meals are going to be faster for the remaining tables, as opposed to somebody who's dealing with more tables. I, I think this is just simple, you know, um, supply and demand of the waiter's time, primarily. But, um, you know, it, there very, may very well have been more of a policy change there. But, and of course, one thing I also point out, if you're on a cruise and the pace of your service is too fast or too slow for your liking, tell your waiter. It's okay. You're not insulting them. If you'd rather have a slower meal, if you'd rather have a faster meal, let them know. They absolutely will make it work for you. I, you know, it's funny, Drew, you mentioned no, why are there no women lifeguards? Up until your email, I never really noticed there aren't any, or at least I haven't seen any. And I've been on enough cruises, I feel like I would have noticed them. I'm not sure, honestly, Drew. I got to think that's not a policy. I got to think it's just a... I don't know. There's just not a lot of uh, female applicants to it. I'm not sure, but it is surprising, actually, that I haven't... I'm trying to remember if I have seen one, I, but you're right. I'm uh, Anytime I can ever think of seeing a lifeguard on Royal Caribbean, since they, they've only been around lifeguards on Royal Caribbean for a couple of years now, it feels like that's always the case. So, kind of interesting. And your last question was, have, they ever, have I ever seen Royal Caribbean enforcing their chair re- reserving policy? Uh, no. Certainly nothing that I would akin to what it should be. But what Drew is talking about is theoretically, when you go to a pool deck, you should see a sign around the place that says, you know, if you're leave your belongings on your on your chair for more than, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes or whatever it is, whatever time threshold they put down there, uh, the the pool attendant is supposed to remove it and then bring it to the uh, to the station and you can pick it up later. Basically, to curb the use of uh, chair res- chairs being reserved by quote-unquote chair hogs. Uh, no, it has. I've never seen it, Drew, and this is a, a problem that I think a lot of people have noticed. I firmly believe that for Royal Caribbean is a lose-lose situation, and the less lose is by doing absolutely nothing. Um, what I mean by that is if they remove it, no matter what the justification, you know the person who's coming back for it is going to be super angry, right? I mean, there's no. I mean, even if they know they're in the wrong, these people still think they're entitled to it, and they're going to do it anyway, right? And they'll make us think about it. Odds are it's going to result in a very negative experience for the guest. Even worse if they go back to the chair that it was on and then, you know, accuse the person who, who's now sitting there of stealing their stuff. It creates a problem. Versus if they don't do it, if Royal Caribbean doesn't do anything, well, people like Drew and myself go, ah, they should really remove it. But at the same time, I feel like there's less, less of an issue in the long run, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, then, of course, you say, well, why have the policy in the first place? That's a really good point don't know i can't speak for royal caribbean obviously i do wish they would reserve it look i mean i get it look you're at the pool deck you, you're you're there you want to go downstairs for you know uh, almost an hour something's happening i don't know what your kids uh performing somewhere you want to go see a, a show but you're coming back right in an hour that's totally fine right but drew's got a point if you're getting up there at 6 a.m putting towels down and then returning out at like 11 a.m that's just not cool and there shouldn't have to be a policy for that course there shouldn't have to be policy for a lot of things in life but yes yet we have them that's a whole different issue to, to speak about alas it's just the nature of cruising this is not limited to royal caribbean we see this on most of the other cruise lines as well um i feel like though at least when we went on some of the newer ship symphony of the seas as an example there were so many chairs on the deck that the problem was quite mitigated compared to remember i was on majesty of the seas we ended up hanging there were these uh not even lounge chairs just chairs by the bar in the shade and I, that was fine with me but you know, the smaller ships have less seating availability, and I feel like that's more of it's more 
of an issue on those shifts. But anyway, it's still a problem. And I agree that, look, if you're going to get up, you should, you know, if you know you're going downstairs for a couple hours, first of all, don't get up at 6 a.m. and reserve it for a couple hours later. When you're ready, you show up and you deal with what you get, right? But I'm not sure that's ever going to happen. <laughs> Unfortunately, not everybody listens to my podcast and even fewer <laughs> listen to my advice. Next, we have an email from Mark Cavanaugh of Salem, Oregon. Hi, Matt. My wife and I are going on ovation of the season in March for our 30th wedding anniversary. We're on a 13-day cruise leaving from Sydney to go around New Zealand. We're in a balcony cabin, and I have the drink package. My wife has the refreshment package for medical reasons. We purchased the five-night dining package as well. For short excursions, we have a mix of ship tours, third-party tours, and going on our own. We arrive in Sydney a few days before the cruise, then we have to go to the then we plan to go to the Great Barrier Reef for two days, then down to Melbourne for a few days before heading home. This will be our fifth Royal Caribbean cruise and sixth overall. We're very excited. Well, Mark, it sounds like an awesome cruise, dude. I <laughs> I mean, Ovation of the Seas, Australia, and I love the pre and post cruise stuff you're doing there, coming down, doing the, the barrier reef, and that's really the way to do it. Especially on well, you're on a 139th cruise, so never mind. I was gonna say this is a short cruise, it's not. But I mean if you're already gonna pay for airfare and you're going on vacation, get your money's worth out of it and you know start your vacation a little earlier. Check out those places that are available to you. I I love the idea, so that's wonderful, wonderful idea. Uh, next we have an email from uh, I believe this is from Adam, who writes, Hello, Matt. Thanks for the show and the hard work. So I've been a cruiser my whole life, going on Royal Caribbean since I was on Song of America as a young kid. Over the last few years, I've been on Disney Cruise Line Kick, mainly due to my kids, but I have my first Royal Caribbean cruise planned this summer on Anthem of the Season for the end of June. Actually, the week before your Royal Caribbean blog group cruise. So my question is, I've never done a family cruise on Royal Caribbean, only party cruises. What are the differences I should expect from a Disney cruise to a Royal Caribbean cruise for my family? I have a three-year-old and a 14-year-old. I booked this mainly because I'm fed up with the price increases at Disney. I still plan on going to Disney cruises, but less often. Hoping Royal Caribbean will slide into my family cruise line experience. My last cru- my last Royal Caribbean cruise is on Freedom of the Seas in 2014, and it was my bachelor party, so it was a drink package cruise. I did not see many of the family side of things. Thanks for any info you can get from my next cruise. Adam. Uh, thanks for the email, dude. And, you know, going on, going from Disney to Royal Caribbean, you know, in terms of family stuff, there's just a lot of activities on board, Adam. And I think that you've got, obviously, you have a, quite an age gap there between your kids, 3 and 14. The 14-year-old, Adam, is never, ever going to want to leave the C-Plex. C-Plex is a um, indoor activities area. It's kind of basically a indoor sports court. That's a really generic way of explaining this. But there's where you can have the bumper cars. There's Xbox. There's roller skating, there's ping pong, there's a lot of dance parties over there, there's the circus school. I mean, this is an area really well geared towards teens, and I feel like you're going to have that. Now, of course, the heart of any Royal Caribbean ship for kids is going to be Adventure Ocean. So day one of the cruise, you're going to want to register your kids for that. Your three-year-old will be in Aquanauts, and your 14-year-old will be in the teens club. All you have to do is just go up there on day one, register them, fill out a form, and they're good to go. And I would definitely advise them to go on day one, especially the 14-year-old, because... It's just like the first day of school. You don't want everyone's new there in the first day, so it's a good opportunity for everybody to meet. As opposed to if you try to come in later, well, then all the friendships are kind of formed and you get this little clickiness, and then I don't know, maybe more difficult. Who knows? For all I know, your 14 year old is the life of the party, and this will not be a problem for them. But definitely go there on day one. And again, there'll be scheduled activities within Adventure Ocean and the Teens Club for the kids, but really it's up to the kids what they want to do. Um, the three-year-old is going to have much more structured activities. For the 14 and the teen club, it's more of a, here's some ideas, but certainly you'll find other options. In addition to that, there will be activities uh, for the teen in the cruise compass. The, 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 when you go to the teen club, you'll see this as well, but there'll be special times for like the teens to go to the flow rider or teens only karaoke, things of that nature. But there's a lot of that. That's obviously for the kids to do on their own, so to speak. That'll free you up 
to maybe <laughs> reminisce a little bit with your bachelor party uh, drink package there. But uh, at the same time, there's a lot of different family activities going on. I mean, your cruise, but my recommendation, honestly, first and foremost, if you haven't done this already, Adam, look at a past cruise compass to get an idea of what to expect on the cruise in terms of activities. That way you have an idea of what to expect. You can start kind of like making a plan. Obviously, you have your evening shows. There's meals involved. Uh, there's no shortage of things to do on board the ship. Adam, it's really, I think, a question of how you and your family uh, like to cruise. But Adventure Ocean and the Teens program is really the, the the epicenter for any family cruise because I firmly believe that they should give it a try to go in there. It's a lot of fun. And even if they've done, and if you've heard on this podcast a number of times, Adam, uh, you should be aware that if they had a poor experience on Disney, or any experience on Disney for that matter, the Royal Caribbean experience is vastly different. It's not, they don't, both programs are not run in the same way. So definitely want to give it another shot there. And uh, hopefully that'll work out really, really well. And Adam, of course, if you have any other questions in the meantime, more specific questions, I'm always happy to answer it for you. But I think your kids are going to have a great time. I think you're all going to have a great time. And think about all that extra money you're saving going on Anthem. Anthem's a fabulous ship, by the way. Holy moly. I think that's going to really stand out to you. Coming from Disney, which are fine. Nothing wrong with their ships. But Disney Cruise Line ships are far from being a leader in the cruise ship innovation market, of which Anthem of the Seas is definitely a poster child for. So I think you're going to have an awesome time on there, Adam. Thank you so much for the email. Thank you to everybody for sending in emails this week. Don't forget, you can always send me your emails by sending to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.